Welcome to Come Along for the Ride, where we love to bring consciousness to the horse world and thus making the world a better place for horses. I'm your host, Tracy Malone. I was born on Wiradjuri country and this podcast is brought to you from Turrbal and Yagara country. I'd like to recognise the first Australian's custodianship of this country for tens of thousands of years and their connection to land, water, community and our sacred animals. I am grateful to elders past, present and emerging. I have great pride to live on country where the oldest known human beings tended to this land. To the conscious horse people who came before me to lead the way. To those who stand beside me in our community now. And for those who will continue after we are long gone. I'd like to say thank you for being a part of the global change we are making to the welfare and training of horses. If you'd like to support the podcast and all the work that Lauren and I do, then you can. Just head on over to patreon.com slash come along for the ride podcast and sign up. From as little as a cup of coffee a month, you can help me keep this podcast going. There are many tiers that you can choose from. And if everyone who listens gave only $5 a month, it would make a massive positive difference to me. There is a tier in there for small business subscription, just like the one Peter Papp took up from Peter and the Herd. This is the one where your business gets a mention each podcast episode. Peter works with equine behaviour and trauma recovery, equine communication and human and horse relationship building. Peter has had communication with my mare Gypsy, who was the mare with me in the podcast picture. And he was spot on about everything in there and he helped me a lot. So I can highly recommend his work personally. Peter has also helped some of the listeners of this podcast, all of those who speak very highly of his work. You can contact Peter by looking him up on Facebook under Peter and the Herd, or you can go to the show notes and follow the links there. A huge shout out to our newest Patreon subscribers, Jodie Murray and Barbara Jansen. Thank you so much for all of your ongoing support. In this episode, I spoke with Mark Langley from Equine Ability. Mark is a man who grew up with horses and, like so many from this podcast, started to question the training methods he had learned while travelling overseas. He saw a lot of push-button horses that were shut down and he got curious as the driving pressure seemed to be shutting them down. And as happens so many times when you begin to question things, he would lead in the direction he needed to go. And for him, it was a book written by Mark Rashid, who gave him permission to take a different direction. He changed his main training method to, how can I help? He realised that like Tom Dorrance said, a horse follows a feel, not getting chased by it. And this is how his new way of training was born. It's really interesting to hear that Mark began to see more shutdown horses than ever when he started hosting clinics. We had a great conversation about shutdown horses and he gives a lot of tips and examples and a lot of things to think about and he made a great point. It's us that shuts down horses, not pressure and we go right into that as well in this conversation and we talk about a lot more things as well. I really hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Mark is humble, refreshing and full of information that he's really generous and happy to impart to us all. So here is Mark. Mark, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. 
Oh, thanks, Tracy. It's really, it's really nice to be on board and, yeah, yeah, be able to talk to you. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a great pleasure to have you. I don't know where you've been hiding, but I'm so glad I found you. <laughs> yeah, I do a good job of sort of for, the, for a lot of years hiding away, but nowadays I'm sort of out and about on the road a bit more and, yeah, yeah people are starting to sort of, uh, you know, I've got a broader reach than I, than I used to, so, yeah. Yeah, well, you'll have an even broader one after today, I hope. So first, Mark, tell me a little bit about what it is that you do. Well, uh, at the moment, um, I mainly travel and help people with their horses. Uh, so I do small workshops. I only take 10 people and, and you know, I'd, I'd sort of really love to take eight most times, but um, I, I take 10 people on workshop, workshops with their horses and I basically help them try to, um, I guess, understand themselves and then their horses better so they can, you know, help their horses feel better around them and then operate in a, in a better way because uh, the person's off, offering a better operating platform for the horse. Um, primarily, I think the workshops I do um, is not necessarily, I'm gonna come and help you with your ego and you can go and ride down the beach bridalist. Um, primarily, I think my, my role as a clinician is to firstly fix red flags. Uh, so when people and horses come with red flags, both the person or the horse, I, um, I try and address that first uh, because I'm a big believer that horses have got to be set up for life. And, and, and you know, sometimes that person might be in hospital or sick or, you know, because some people say, hello, my horse forever, it's okay. And I, and, and, and I say, well, yeah, well, maybe not because there's plenty of horses that end up in other hands and things like that. And I, I really try and help people set their horses up to be happy amongst uh, all the uh, hustles and bustles of humans and horse floats and, you know, all those things. And then uh, basically once, once those red flags are starting to get fixed, I help people on their own individual journeys with their horse and where they want to go into the future, whether it be um, just, just, you know, better relationship building or, uh, which, which is obviously the, you have to have that anyway for, for anything or if they want to sort of go and try, you know, little competitions here and there or just have a better trail riding horse and things like that. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I travel, travel mostly over Australia and then I uh, was going to Germany once a year and, um, and yeah, but with the corona stuff, it's, it's been nice to just be in Australia and, and working and, and finding a few new places to visit and work. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been an interesting time. How did your life begin with horses? Did you grow up with them as a kid? Yes, I did. Um, my, my parents left the big smoke when I was 10 months old um, and decided they'd buy an old rundown sheep station in Glen Innes. And, and my mum was into horses. My dad got into horses in his 30s. Um, and... They, they started a sort of business where they started trail riding and then from there um, yeah, it turned into long distance horse trekking. Um, and then they, they parted their ways, but basically um, I sort of spent my time, I guess in the early days in the holidays coming out, dad would buy all these new horses from the sales and I'd sort of ride them and make sure that they were okay and, and help him out on these horses. He didn't know what you were going to get on. And, um, and then, then all my holidays, you know, it was spent sort of doing the long distance horse trekking or we were just uh, pack saddling sort of, we'd ride from all the way from Glen Innes all the way down to the coast, you know, often 10 day pack horse trips, 
uh, through through some of the you know the various national parks, but we'd always have private property access. So we're just going through all the cattle properties and things like that. And yeah, I did a lot of lot of years of doing that. Um, in helping out with that with my parents and, and, and then my dad later on who stayed in that sort of thing. And then I guess once I left school, I, I um, did a few other jobs, contract jobs and things like that. And then worked on properties, which involved horses. I managed the Jackaroo Jillaroo school where we sort of taught the people how to ride and then basically took them on the station and, and, and helped them get involved with station work. And that, that particular station was all horse and dogs. So no motorbikes or anything like that. And then, um, tried to start a horse riding business when I was 19 and it kind of didn't, you know, it worked for a year, but I realized I was too young and, and, uh, not ready to sort of, you know, take on board the whole big thing of a business. And, um, and then I, I went traveling overseas and I got a job in Scotland for eight months managing the horses on a horse trekking place over there that used to trek through the highlands. And, uh, I did a bit of competition over there in a competition called Le Trek, which is, um, quite a fun orienteering competition where you, where you orienteer one day, but you've got uh, an obstacle course, a timed obstacle course the next day, which will have hedge jumps, jumps, gates, everything like that, almost like what an equitation, a working equitation course would have, but it's just a bit faster. Oh, I've also noticed, and it's, it's just, it's set more of a cross country course distance, I suppose. And then from there went to America and worked on a horsemanship ranch there and sort of, Watched from a distance, but I was, I was a bit frightened of the, the McDonald's kind of approach. Um, so I sort of didn't really get involved in it. Was it very and, different um, to your normal approach? So how would you, let's take one little step back. How did your dad train horses and teach you to train horses and ride? Was it the normal traditional way or did well, you it was he, he, Yeah, it was more of a sort of a traditional, what dad learned around the horse people back then. So my dad's 84 now. Uh, so, you know, it was just what was around in the country at that time. And especially moving from the city, it just would have took all the ideas of what the farrier taught him and what this bloke taught him and that stockman taught him. And, 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 and so it was kind of like a traditional way. And dad just enjoyed the horses for the riding. So basically if they were, if they were sort of, you know, come from a sale and they were tough, you'd sort of just give them miles and sort them out. Um, and so, yeah, he sort of, knew his way around a horse, but the horsemanship side of thing, I sort of started more in my, my early twenties um, in the sense that th there was no real way I was taught off my father. It was more, you ride, you can pick up a foot, you can trim them, you can do all that sort of stuff and shoe them. And, and that was about it. Um, I got interested in the training when I, once I started traveling more. And also when I worked on, on, on the, on the place at Nundle, the stockman there, I thought he had a real good way around horses and, had some nice horses and, and, and I got interested in a bit more stuff then. And, um, and then after America, I started taking on horses to, to, to train and that's where the real journey started, I guess. Yeah. So what did you see in America? You said you didn't like the McDonald's way. That is get them in, train them, get them out. No, it was the one, two, three, four approach. It's like um, the cookie cutter system of horsemanship that you maybe, you know, you see a lot now that, that people sort of set up a business plan more for the people um, and I found the horses were getting left short. So um, I, at, at that time in my naivety, I was kind of, some of the stuff I was sort of okay with, it was just the whole, everybody do it the same. I, I, I didn't like, so I didn't sort of invest my money in it and I didn't kind of, I just helped out, did my thing, did my time over there and, and then, and then came back to Australia. But I, 
yeah, I just wasn't keen in, in, in that whole big, whole marketing a system that trains horses. Um, and, and though when I came back to Australia, there was things that I was trying. There was a lot of things that didn't feel right in my gut for the types of horses I was working. So I was very quickly changing what I'd seen to, to what seemed to work. And when you came back to Australia, did you come back and have your own horses again with your dad or did you go to another one, somebody else's farm? No, I just, I, I, I came back and I, we, uh, we ended up buying a part of dad's property and build our, build our own house on it, um, sort of own and build our own house. And that's where we, I set up the horse training business. Um, so I came back and met Jenny and uh, the Jenny, Jenny who, who basically runs equine ability now. We, we sort of started in Glen Innes back then. Um, you know, that's about 17 years ago, I suppose. And, uh, but I put an ad in the paper to take on some horses and um, I had some horses of dad's old, old trekking horses I had because while I've been away over the years, I didn't really have my own horses because I was just working on the horses on the places I was working. Um, and I just started taking on young horses in Glen Innes to start. And then from there it evolved to troubled horses and things like that. But I was there for, oh, you know, I was, guess I was training for 15 years, I suppose. And what did you find? What did you change? How did you go from traditional to <laughs> completely different? Well, if traditional, so, so to, my traditional was I could ride, I suppose. And it was sort of get on and ride. There wasn't a lot of groundwork that was in the early you know, growing up days it was just sort of get on and ride and you know and, and as i can remember as a 10 year old riding bolting horses <laughs> just bolting in a mob of horses and then running and kept running in with the horses that you were trying to run in in the yards nearly at the front of them because you couldn't <laughs> control your horse uh and, and and but that was the kind of way it was but it taught me to sort of appreciate that i, would, I didn't grow up riding cream puffs um but then later on that was, I guess, the traditional. Then what I didn't like about the traditional horsemanship, and that was the, the horsemanship that I guess um, was the one, two, three, every horse fits that certain program and, and we just do the program, is, is a, it didn't make the horses feel good and it didn't set them up. And then the horses I was training, when, when, when you put an ad in the paper that you're going to charge $400 to start a horse, well, all the horses come and they get jumped off trucks and there's never seen a person before because... Uh, that's what country rural Australia is like. And, you know, with the, with the stock horse breeders and there was a lot of endurance breeders around there that just had their horses bushed in blocks all over the countryside. And, um, and with those really, really nervous, really touchy, really sensitive horses, I pretty well had to throw away things that weren't working very quickly. And it made me question the whole philosophy of horsemanship about the whole alpha approach and, and, and the, the driving approach. And it really, didn't didn't work very well, and um, and I didn't have the confidence then. I guess work to very well. Sorry, what do you mean it didn't work very well? Did they just not respond? Did you not get well, the softness you wanted? Well, they you didn't get the the you, you didn't get the softness you wanted. You didn't get that horse interested in you and liking you enough, and you didn't get it feeling good. Um, it just made them feel like they were just getting pushed down the pecking order by another horse, and and. Uh, and I noticed that I, I didn't notice it so much back then. It was years later that it really kind of was highlighted when I started doing a few workshops. But back then, um, what the effect it was having on the horses was um, I wanted the horses to sort of, you know, come into my centre and be drawn into what I'm doing. So when I'm getting on a real young horse that's 
uh, or, 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 you know, a, a super sensitive horse, I, I don't want it to think that it's got to move away from worry and things like that. So I, I want it to just sort of, you know, when you put your foot in the stirrup, you didn't want the horse skedaddling away sideways and things like that. And, and uh, you know, the, the whole moving them away from energy and stuff like that, um, it started to sort of show its faults and cracks when you're working very sensitive, very wild horses. Um, and yeah, so I sort of evolved and there was, I didn't really have the confidence to question all these or question a lot of gurus back then, I suppose, but there was a book that the, a neighbor up the road loaned me to read. And it was one of Mark Rash's books. And it was, a, I think it's a good horse is never a bad color. Mm-hmm. One of his old books, you know, I think he wrote that, I don't know, a long, long time ago, but he, said some things in that book that I was kind of th- questioning and thinking about, but I guess I didn't have the confidence back then to, you know, say, Hey, I'm going to try it completely differently. And, um, but I was, I could feel myself shifting in, in the way I was approaching horses. And, and, and I don't know, Jenny said, maybe they're not in his book, but I surely remember it was that book that I got this out, but it was the philosophy that, that really got me back then was, if you push a horse away, they'll soon know where you want them. And then it kind of made me start to believe in what I was starting to see. And uh, that made me believe in myself because when I questioned it and then someone with a bit of kudos that I thought a lot of people uh, paid a lot of attention to, I suppose, started to question things. I thought, no, well, I can question and I can really just, you know, go with my gut a little bit more instead of, you know, go with what the, you know, the norm is, I suppose. And, um, and there's a few other things like you set boundaries, you don't bring your boundaries to your horses. And, and, and he questioned the whole alpha horsemanship approach and, and it really made sense to me and it really um, got me uh, confident enough to just go, well, I'm just going to go with feel now and, and what I feel and, and how I feel I'd, I'd, I'd like to sort of help the horses. And what difference did you see? What did you change? How did you change it? So you had this philosophy where you knew you wanted to draw them instead of push them. How did that change in your training? Well, one thing I started to do was um, I started to use less driving energy. So um, I stopped hooking a horse on. You know how there's that sort of you hook a horse on, you kind of send them around a bit and they hook on a little bit and then they sort of, you get a bit of a connection with them and then you go from there. Mm-hmm. I pretty well from, from there, I started going, no, it's not, not working so good as it's. So, so from there, I just, you know, I, I might walk around a round yard and, or yard or whatever, a small yard, wherever I was sort of working. And if I saw that horse thinking towards me a little, I'd just kind of reward it and draw off. And, um, and if I, if I wanted to get its attention, I just might sort of bang my leg or something or do something. Um, and, and if the horse went one way away from me, instead of pushing it and, and just making it uncomfortable by pushing it, I'd just walk in the opposite direction. And if it walked the other way, I'd just walk in the opposite direction. Every time it hooked onto me a little bit, I'd start to, um, you know, you know just, just soften and walk off a little to sort of show it that I, I saw it do that. Mm. And... Um, and it was just getting them to sort of interested in you. And then all of a sudden they started to get interested and want to follow you around. And, and, and instead of having pressure that was your putting pressure on the horse, you could bang your leg or whatever like that. And, and, or, and, and that was just more of a neutral pressure as in the horse goes, well, what was that? But you look like you're calm. So you're not putting the pressure on me. So that pressure made me interested. 
Yeah, so you're to, in your body, you're not holding that driving kind of energy and, and really feeling, you know, yeah, 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 you it's don't, it's just like, hey, there, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so, so, so I just started, uh, you know, what, what, what I guess what I started to notice when I was working with the, the you know, because I did a lot of like I did desert brumbies that, yeah, you know, lots of different sort of, you know, older, tougher wild horses and things like that. And, and, um, but it took me a lot of years to sort of figure out how to take away drive and guide their thoughts better. And, um, but yeah, I did notice myself. One of the first things I started to throw away was I'm going to push into you to draw on you. Um, that was what, I guess one of the first things I, I threw away in those early stages. And then, um, over the years when I started to get a horse to follow a feel of a lead rope, instead of kind of, you know, push it to move it. And, and I had a, like a light bulb moment once with a horse that, I just wanted it to lead. I just wanted to go around a circle so I could I just send it by and, and let it carry a saddle and so I could, I could move it. So I, you know, cause obviously when you're training horses, you want them to be able to move and carry everything that they're going to have on them softly before you're going to sit on them and go and do it. So you've got to, you know, movement's one of those important things. And, um, and, you know, I still noticed to get movement, I was using a bit of energy to get that movement and, um, and, 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 but what I noticed, there was so many horses that their hard side, their, the eye that they didn't want to look at you on, I mean, was was like, it was trying to like, you know, trying to do dentistry on a, on a, on a wild cat. Um, you, you, you got this wild horse that, you, you know, it doesn't want to even get you down one side. And so... And and every now and again you get the two eye on horses that that will not you you, you know the hardest thing you'll ever do is touch their hip sort of thing because uh, they're very focused very intense horses but they don't trust you down their sides and and I said this is not working it's not working it's not working it is horses and then I I, I went and I had a mental reset um, and because the other saying that actually got me going back a few <laughs> a little bit was that I got out of that book was we're here to help. And, and that was the something that took me on, you know, I just went, well, you know, it'd be like an irate, you know, a concierge saying, yeah, yes, sir. How can I help to an irate tourist who's whinging about something completely <laughs> not yeah. worth whinging about? And, 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 and I had to just sit back and go, geez, I might be in the red zone now. And I think this horse is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm frightened. I'm, I'm sort of, you know, so you get angry and then, and then you go, you start to just operate as in you start to go out and say, right, I just got to train this horse. And, uh, once, once that how can I help um, philosophy be, became part of me, it actually calmed me right down, and and I just could step back and say, what's gone wrong with this horse? What's what's happened here? What have I done wrong? And then all of a sudden, I'd see, oh, geez, I missed that, didn't I? Well, I can go back and help that out, and then come along again. And but anyway, and then we go forward to this horse. I just had to step back and go, how can I help? And then I just stood there and I just said, oh, I just might lead you past me. And I just, just led it, led it beside me, led it beside me just until the eye softened and, and it started to, and then I just let it pass me, pass, pass my shoulder and it just loosened up and went out on a circle and traveled around me nice. And, and I went, that was the penny drop I needed when that really tough horse just said, you just have to, you just have to, um, offer me a pathway and I'll follow it <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and driving pressure, driving pressures like the pathway pushing it from behind. It's, you know, and, and the old philosophies are like the Tom Dorrance's and those guys are like a horse is to follow a feel, not get chased by it. Yeah. Um, perfect. 
you know, so, so that was kind of the, you know, what I needed. And then from there, every horse after that, I started to say, I'm going to put more value in the leading that I teach you before I do anything else. And then they all started to go out on circles so easy. And, and so, and, and not that I believe in a lot of circles on horses, but back then I just had to get them to travel around me. And I, I've got a lot of different ways that I do things now, but it was kind of the, the penny drop for me. And, and it basically gave me a tool that really started to define the difference between um, putting energy towards a horse's thought opposed to steering a horse with energy. And it was from there, the clarity came into my mind about how I wanted to guide horses and, and, and putting energy in towards their thoughts. So they're already locked on with their thoughts. They just have to be energized opposed to trying to, and I think earlier on in the past, I was steering a horse with energy. I was actually, they were moving say left or right and speeding up a little because you energize that to steer them. And, and, and to me, nowadays i would say that's that doesn't make sense that's bad horsemanship because you you set up a, a thought and then once that's established the balance of the horse is established and then all you have to do is put more energy into that and that yeah but that was the kind of the penny drop back then wow on a really wild horse yeah oh god we need to talk about that more because my head gets it but i i i can't i understand you on an intellectual level is what how I will say that, but I'm fascinated by it. Can you tell me what all of that means by bringing energy to it? How do you bring energy to something without building pressure on the horse? Okay, there's always going to be pressure, and 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 as you're probably in a human psychological fashion or a uh, any 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 sort of it, it it takes a certain amount of anxiety to for something to seek change. Um, anxiety is not over, or, uh, so, some people sort of don't like anxiety um, but most people without anxiety sometimes don't seek change uh, and that's the same with horses you know it gets hot the horse seeks shade there's a certain amount of anxiety that gets it to seek something but it doesn't it doesn't have to be too stressed but anxiety is something that's that's in there but um, pressure sometimes created too much adrenaline and anxiety um, so how do you teach a horse to, so, so say for instance, I, I, when I train horses, I'm a big stippler on how to use a lead rope and a rein um, because I've seen too many horses carry brace their whole life with it. And after doing clinics for 10 years, I, I, I really just see that people have got to spend more time on one thing instead of five different things that they got on the cooker at the same time with their horses. Yeah. And so I might do a lot of leading exercises that get a horse to sort of lead out there or lead here or do here, you know, do this. And then to, to provide energy, once the horse's thought is on track, you could lift your energy a little and the horse could probably pick up on that. And if the horse didn't pick up on your energy, for instance, you don't chase your energy into the horse to ping it out. You can just put a little extra feel through that lead or something like that. And that horse will go, oh, that's right, I lead. And I can always go faster with that lead. So they lead a little faster. Um, so I guess I've got other ways kind of now, but I guess back then I was trying to figure out how do I stop pushing the horses from the loin to make them go forward and make them feel like I'm an alpha horse that's kind of bullying them to getting them to lift their energy like we're together and we're, we're, you know, they're not running away from me or something like that. And I guess I went, I went back to 
yeah, refining my leading. So the horse was leading really well. And wherever I put the feel of the lead, that horse could put its thoughts and travel through. And, and then when you're leading a horse, you can lift your leading hand. And that horse knows that lift means, oh, the lead rope's traveling forward a little. I can catch up with it. And then eventually you can have a horse on a 20 meter circle and you just lift your energy and lift that leading hand and it'll just realize that, oh, that's right. I've got to put my eye past that lead rope a little bit and they just travel past that lead rope and go around. Um, and that's, that's, that's with the lead rope. And, and you can start to do liberty with that. You can teach them on the lead rope first and then turn that into liberty. Or uh, there are other ways you can teach liberty. But basically, you're trying to lift and you can create an impulsion. And you can even bang, bang your leg or something to get that horse thinking. And that, that will cause a little bit of anxiety to get that horse searching. But it won't be you pushing all your energy into the horse to deflect it away from you. Yeah. Yeah, the, the difference is it, yeah, it does. And I like to put things in human terms too so that I can understand them better. So it's the difference between somebody just staring at you, willing you to go forward or, and, and staring behind you and going, come on, yeah. get moving. You're like, well, you just bugger off because I'll do what I want when I want, opposed to somebody standing there lifting a hand going, would you like to come this way? Follow the energy. Something yes, really yes. awesome's happening over so, here. Yeah, so, so. Come with me. Yeah. That's right. And, and, and I, like when you relate it to a person, like a person that you're uh, trying to talk to, uh, if you point to the tree and say, can you go to that tree? They, they, they're completely happy with that thought transition and they go over there really easily. Mm. But if you just stood there with them looking at you and kept shooing them and shooing them, they wouldn't know where you want them to go. Yeah. They just kind of look at the energy going, I'll just, and that means you'd have to work really hard in putting yourself in all these different positions to, stop the you know the person from going in the wrong direction because you never showed them what direction you wanted them to go in yeah and it's also um, you'd get so frustrated going just tell me what you want you're not telling me what you want i don't yes. understand what you want that is the clear thing that comes from me when you say that yeah and that's yeah and that's where horses are uh, struggle and you and you, you would see it yourself as the horses are just um really struggling through lack of clarity and and that's what makes a lot of unhappy horses is just just pure lack of clarity um not even just the fact that the person was using, you know, hard pressure or soft pressure it was the lack of clarity of either pressure. Mm, yeah, absolutely. It's time for a very quick break because there's something really important that I'd like to tell you about. Another of our small business subscribers for this podcast is the Heart Horse Box. Heart Horse was created by friends Teaster and Charlotte who found a beautiful spot to place themselves in the horse business world. They have created a safe online community environment outside the noisy world of social media where you can dive in and speak openly with heart-minded, conscious horse people of all disciplines and breeds. This membership includes live seminars and classes from equine experts from all areas of the equestrian world. They also have the beautiful Heart Horse Box subscription. I do love this one as it's centered around you, the conscious horse person, receiving nourishing gifts for you as Heart Horse understand that you are already taking amazing care of your horse and they want to make sure you are doing the same for yourself. I am thrilled to let you know that if you go to hearthorsebox.com and use the code EDENRIVER, you will receive a 25% discount on your first month of the Heart Horse Community Membership. That one is international. That's one for everyone in the world. 
you may also like to check out their Heart Horse podcast. It's another great free resource from the Heart Horse team. You may even find the episode where I was a guest on their podcast talking about my life with horses and how this podcast and the conscious horse movement came about. The links are also in the show notes. So how much have you changed now since then? You seem to be continually evolving. Yeah, well, from there, I started to figure, try to work out ways that we weren't driving horses. So by the time I did my first, you know, few workshops, uh, which one was started off as just a barbecue at home where people, local people came and watched me work. And it kind of gave me the confidence to maybe help a few people out and do some more lessons and stuff. And, and, um, I better not go into that too far because I'll, I'll get lose track of where I'm going. <laughs> so how have I evolved now is because <laughs> I'll help you go down, like you said, a rabbit hole. Um, I like rabbit holes though. So it's a good tra- rabbit hole. You're welcome to go there. We'll, we'll come back. Yeah. Well, I'll try and answer the question first and then I won't, then I can go off to another rabbit hole somewhere else. Um, so later on about eight years ago, I met a, a fellow came and watched one of my clinics and he his name's Ross Jacobs. He writes a fair, he's, he's written a few books and um, I had a yarn to him at the end of the day that he came and fenced it. And, and, uh, and I, I got reading some of his stuff before the clinic because I realized I'd recognized that name before. So, um, and yeah, and, and, and I looked into his stuff and it was almost like I said before, I had a gut feel and I was going in a certain direction. And then that old Mark Rashid book helped me, and figure out ways that I didn't want to drive horses anymore. Well, um, talking to Ross, I actually started to go, oh, this is, this is the path I'm heading for. And this is the information that is kind of um, joining, joining things up for me. Um, so he, he was big on, and he's one of his mentors is a, is a, is a fellow in America called Harry Whitney, who's a, who's a, who's kind of a master at it, I suppose. And it's about directing a horse's thought. And cause Ross was talking about not driving horses and I'm like, oh, that's cool. Cause I've been trying to understand how not to push horses away. And, and he's talking about directing versus driving. And that's something that I was really trying to understand and, 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 and sort of make up as I was going. And then I never watched Ross himself, but he, he just reading his words about, you know, directing, not driving. And, um, later I did go on fence set a fence set a day, but, um, he's got a really good book, you know, the essence of good horsemanship. And, 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 and he talked about the directing the horse's thought and, and also something he said at the clinic there, he said, I, I, I wouldn't use my legs on one of the lessons there. And I'm like, that's interesting. And, so anyway, I totted off and for the next, I don't know, every young horse I rode after that, I took my legs off and I, and, and, and I wanted to understand the reins. And then also I started getting more creative about directing and, and how I could direct without driving and get their thoughts on track, track better before I had energy and things like that. And I just, I guess I muddled away. But I, the good thing about muddling away in, in my profession was I was training horses all the time. So I already had a fair feel on horses. Um, and, and I just kind of just slowly shifted and, and practiced and tested things as I was going. So now when, when I do clinics now, people notice that I put a lot of emphasis on leading and directing, which was something I was evolving with that I spoke earlier about. Um, 
I also know how to capture a horse's focus a lot better. So instead of, you know, if it's a really troubled horse that really needs you to get its attention, well, I can get its thoughts within seconds opposed to sort of maybe minutes. Um, and, and so I can help it operate better. So, so I've got better now changing it like a hard thought in a horse where the horse is really focused elsewhere. And I can bring that, the, mind and, the mind and the body back together a lot quicker purely by effective distraction, uh, being more effective with my distraction. Um, and I guess most recently now that, you know, the biggest thing I'm trying to teach is, um, you know, hear that old saying, feel timing and balance. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to teach people to understand balance because I, what I've, and it, and it got me thinking about my journey from, from horses that were, you know, horsemanship was all about driving horses to now I'm trying to direct horses. And, but what I'm seeing now is with the evolution of, you know, of people coming in and, and in influencing the horse world in better ways, I'm seeing there's still a, sometimes a lack of balance and, and, the, and the balance I'm seeing a lot of is horses, um, they're not doing enough thought transition as in the horses get focused on the person so much now that they're actually not thinking for themselves well enough because um, people are you know starting to go oh, I've got to get my horse focused and this and that and the other and 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 the, what they don't realize is the horses are still actually hooked on to the driving pressure not thinking for themselves they're not walking to the post they're actually moving off the energy of the person and so this, even in kinder ways I still see um having the horses over-focused is, is affecting the horse's um, confidence as, a, as, a, as an all-round riding horse. And because uh, transition, true transition, no matter what, if you're in competition or anything, is thought transition, not, not just moving in a different direction. It's actually the horse thinking in the different direction that actually gives the horse true transition. And if the horse doesn't have true transition, then basically um, you, 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 you're sort of, cutting your you're, you're cutting yourself short and 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 not developing your horse's confidence in transition and how does that then um so i can see it all clearly on the ground how does that translate into saddle when you're using that driving pressure and not having the horse thinking for itself okay how's it translate in saddle like um what, what it really did for me what what it really was i started to really understand is there was a couple of horses and, and you know i was talking earlier about those two eyed on wild horses that just want to you know, or just really nervous, sensitive horse. They want to keep two eyes on. Um, they, they just want you in front. So anything they do in their groundwork is going to be them trying to reposition their eyes on you. Uh, so they were more particularly like this. But when you, if you don't teach them to think away softly and think left softly, think right softly, travel forward with the forward thought softly, when you get on them and you add some energy, they just kind of spin around in a circle going, I can't face you. You're not there. Um, and they just get lost. They just get lost. They just get lost. They won't, they, they just won't walk a straight line. They'll, they just kind of know that they've got to move off energy, but they don't know where to go. They don't know where you want them to go. So you might be able to steer them, but your steering may still get them lost because they're just not traveling that you haven't taught them on the ground to think forward and travel forward, thinking forward and then come back softly and then think forward again, softly or, once you go over there, like, so the old long reining methods and things, they were great for that because they used to get someone walking behind their horse and the horse started to travel forward, thinking forward. Um, and those horses would turn, you get on them and ride them. They were easy to ride because they'd already had someone behind them just traveling forward, just thinking uh, about all the obstacles in front of them and taking on the world in their stride kind of thing. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. Long raining's coming back. Whereas the horses. It's making a comeback. Yeah. Well, I do a lot more at clinics now and, and like I do a lot of one. So, so I, I used to do one reining and I used to teach, I teach horses a lot of one reining where, where, where when you first teach a horse to go on the ground, you just teach it to go in a straight line first, not, not in a circle. Um, I never teach a young horse to circle around me. I'll teach them to do a straight line. And, and one, cause when a horse, you've got a young horse, you, you ask them to go out and you know what they do? They think to the outside. So you actually go excellent. That's a great thought to the outside. I'm going to follow that because that's you thinking for yourself. And, and if you want to leave a little strong, well, I'll let you leave a little strong, but eventually the rope will run out or the yard will run out and then you have to come back again. But you rewarded the horse for thinking for itself. And, and what I started to see in this evolution of, uh, you know, get your horse focused business is people got their horse so focused, the horse forgot how to think and they took the horse's right to think away. And though they, they were doing kind of the right thing in their own mind, the horses were not doing enough thought transition. So when it gets to under saddle, those horses, you know, can't think their way out of a wet paper bag. Which makes them very spooky under saddle, I would imagine. Lack of confidence. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and if you've got to do all the work for them, you become, you know, you micromanage them on the ground, then you've got to micromanage them under saddle. And then they don't take the world in their stride. So, you know, they, they you know, the horses that I felt safe on were those really sort of twitchy ones that would tell you, well, mind you, it didn't feel that safe on them, but they told you 500 metres meters away that there was a piece of grass out of place. So yeah. you had 500 metres to fix it. Uh, whereas the horse that sort of saw the piece of grass out of place when it stood on it and bucked you off was the one that was kind of shut down or, you know, in zombie land somewhere. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the aware horses, they tell you as it's happening, it's kind of like a constant uh, conversation that you're happening, happening all the time. And it's constant dialect. And, and, and though it's harder for some people to deal with that, that's what I like because then I know I, I, where I can step in and help and where, where I can sort of, do, you know, direct the horse elsewhere to get it out of trouble and things like that. Yeah, it's so much more like a conversation, isn't it? Instead of a, a one-way, it's a two-way. Yes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Biting bugs are a pain for you and your horse. If you'd like some natural and ethically made relief for your horse, made by me, then head on over to EdenRiverEquestrian.com and grab some of the natural horse spray. There are two blends. The Kiowa blend may assist in keeping insects off your horse. The Gypsy blend was formulated to assist in repelling insects and also supporting the healing of Queensland itch and other wounds on your horse. If you head on over to EdenRiverEquestrian.com and use the code COMEALONGFORTHERIDE, all one word lowercase, then you will receive 15% off your order. Get your horse some relief now. And so there's when you're talking about those shutdown horses that get to the blade of grass and panic at that moment, what do you do to bring those horses out of that? Because, boy, there's a lot of them in the world. Yeah, and it wasn't I, – I didn't really know a lot about shutdown horses when I was just training. I, I, I had a lot of shutdown horses, um, I guess, uh, when I started taking on re-education horses and, and how I opened them up was I just – Basically, back then, they, I had to sit on them and, and, and take them out. So I'd take them out in the real world and they'd slowly open up. And I didn't do a lot of groundwork with those horses, like because most of the people that sent me horses wanted a safe riding horse. Mm -hmm. 
so I just just do I, I, I for ten years of training I had a round yard and I never had an arena so I just rode out straight out into the into the bush into the into the open country and and uh, had plenty of country to ride on, and I would educate them on the go, which is kind um, of and, and though, just being, when you think about it, taking someone bush anywhere, yeah, yeah. even if you did it with a human, it would be pretty healing in its own right. So it's a fantastic thing to do. Yeah. So, so yeah, because because you know they just you know. I wasn't interested in a push button groundwork horse at that time. And, and the people that were sending me the horses, we just wanted a safe, quiet horse. So I found the best safe, quiet horse could be produced through taking it into the, just the really real, real world, teaching it to open up its mind and then helping it through um, until it started to feel good. So I didn't put a heap of pressure on them, but over the, over the days of riding, I would slowly, um, their awareness would, would become back because they needed awareness because there, there was so much tricky country in kangaroos and, you know, and, and we bordered on some sort of pretty scrubby country that, you know, there was a plenty of deer and, 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 you know, we used to sort of catch and wild goats and breed a few goats and things like that and sheep. And, um, so there's always something to keep their mind open. Um, and, and, and that kind of sort of got them traveling a lot better. Got a, and, and when they were paddocked, I had them paddocked with other horses. So they'd start to open up pretty quick. But, the, the, but I never really realized the, the amount of shutdown horses until I started doing clinics. And what I started to realize, which is, it was kind of the, uh, that's what kind of nailed it for me in the sense of, I know I'm on a path that I like. I'm not saying I'm on the right path. Uh, I, I think I'm heading for the right path. I think I'm starting to understand the path of horsemanship. And to me, the, the path of horsemanship is to, to help horses feel better. And I think that's the message, with, with, you know, from the first guys who started talking about it, the message was, is we have to have a horse that we're listening to and we're getting them to feel better about what they're doing and being around us. And that's, that's I guess, the message that I, I wanted to, so I, I you know, but, but what I've started to notice, what I started to notice when I started doing clinics was, how many horses were shut down through horsemanship and that saddened me because i realized that the message got diluted and that the true message the, the message about maybe moving them around got taken on board but the true message and the intention of you know keeping it setting it up for a horse to search helping our horses and things like that 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 was the message that sort of disappeared and uh, and and i saw so many horses that were like push button natural horsemanship horses that were mechanical and shut down. And so the Chinese whispers didn't obviously work. Um, so yeah, and, and it's good, like you say before, it's starting to come back a bit and people are starting to become more aware and, you know, um, and that's great because um, I don't know how some people would, you know, get in the yard with a lot of really wild horses without listening to them. Yeah. Um, yeah dangerous in every way so for those of us yeah. who, for those horses that were coming to your clinics you know a lot of us can't just go bush and and take them out and do all of those kinds of things how did you teach people to work with their own horses to bring them out of that state okay so yeah so so yeah so there's still the sort of shutdown horses that are sort of kept in a small yard environment life's pretty mundane um the person has a bit of time each week to go and work with their horse and it may be in an arena it may be you know so things like that so with groundwork um the hardest thing with a shutdown horse especially if they've been shut down through education and information so um 
is the, the shutdown horses are, um, it's us that's, that's shut them down, not pressure. Yeah. Um, and just say so that one more time. Spectrums. Just say that one more time. That's really important. Um, well, well, yeah. I'll, so the reason I say it is because I, I'm starting to meet a few people who are aware of shutdown horses, but they think pressure is going to shut them down more. And and it's not pressure that shuts them down. It's it's us and and, and our tools of training that have shut them down, not pressure. Yeah. Great. Um, so. And, and I, cause I, I see there's two spectrums that you have to work a shutdown horse on. You, I, I don't think you can just work on one side of the spectrum. So the first side of the spectrum, which everybody can do, um, is just go back to listening to their horses and treat it like it's a wild horse. So when they walk up to it, imagine that horse is wild. And if, if you see any sign of, of, uh, you know, hard thoughts or anything like that, then you recognize it and step back a little or stop and, and, and sort of communicate with the horse as you approach it. So as soon as you see that horse start to suck inside itself, will you maybe step back a bit and maybe say, say it doesn't have to do that. And, uh, and if you don't notice that on a shutdown horse, then you can't work from the other side of the spectrum anyway. So, so that's, that's the important side is treat it like the horse has never been handled and imagine you can't get a hand on it and you have to read every signal that horse offers um as you walk up to it and that that's the way that's that's the one side of the spectrum that you have to do and 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 is the 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 thing that i encourage people to go home with and keep doing at a clinic though i can get through a brace that maybe the person can't get through um and that's where i come in from the other side of the spectrum and i say well let's see what opens up your horse okay because this is the pressure side and this is the hardest side of horsemanship is to apply anxiety into a horse, but teach it that, you know, following our feel and, and, and answering our questions leads it into a better place. And then it starts to go, gee, I like you. I'm connected with you and, 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 and your ideas make me feel better. Um, that's the, that's where it gets tricky um, is because pressure can send the horse each way because it has been human pressure that got the horse shut down. But as I said, it's not pressure itself. It's just the way pressure was applied. Um, so, so if I've got a shutdown horse, the, the other end of the side of the spectrum is, is, is um, so, so what I say to people at the clinic to give them an idea is, is I'll say, okay, you're standing here with your shutdown horse in this arena. You look at it, it's shut down, it's, its eyes are dull, its face is all kind of tight, it's, it's just really unhappy in here and carrying a lot of tension, but it's, it's reverting to just looking like it's quiet, but you can see that that quiet horse over there has got a soft eye and this one hasn't. Um, but if a tiger, a big tiger, suddenly just walks, just slinked its way through the middle of the arena, I'll guarantee your horse is not shut down, it'll open up its eyes and jump out of its skin. And that's the little story I tell people to prove to them it's not pressure shut down the horse. It was just the application. Of so yeah, basically yeah, yeah. sometimes it... The great yeah, story. So, it's, so, it's a really good visual. Yeah. So they go, oh, so the horse is not really shut down. I said, no, it's not shut down. So everyone gets panicky because their horse is shut down. I go, no, no, it's not shut down. It's just a horse that's shut down in certain environments. So don't stress and go and, you know go and have sleepless nights because it's just a horse that shuts down, but it's not just living all the time in a shutdown world. And some horses do because obviously the, you know, you go places overseas and even in Australia where you see horses 24 seven locked in the stable 
and yeah, they're pretty well shut down. They, they, they don't have an environment they can open up in as much. So yeah, there are horses that spend more of their life shut down because everything's just really not, not a nice place. Yeah, but the, horse, the, the people who've got the shutdown horse, yeah, got a few horses in the paddock, you know, then the horse goes and opens up again. And, um, but yeah, some of what we do does carry on through the paddock. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to, you know, there are horses that's, that, that actually start, start to become happier in the paddock when, when they're not worrying about the work that they're going to get with the person. And when the person cleans it up, the horses actually outside life, outside the person can improve a lot. Um, but I won't go in there just yet. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, so with the shutdown horse, I might just be a little random around that horse uh, or say, for instance, I'll give you, oh, actually, I can give you an example. It's probably an example is probably easier for people to understand. I had a really shut down and also almost lame horse at a clinic in Queensland that was kind of lame through the hips from all its kind of Western kind of work. Uh, so it was work to do all these movements when it was still carrying such a brace, a mental brace that the, that the, that, the, that the suspension system in the horse is not soft and limber enough to cope with that type of work. So the horses end up broken down early because they're carrying a mental brace. Um, so this horse was kind of, you know, really lame when it started to move forward and stuff like that because it was stiff all the way through. But as soon as it walked in the arena, it was just really dull looking and hard square eyes and all the other sort of signs of, of, of being really shut down. And so I let the horse go. And I said to, to the owner, I said, we're just going to walk over here. And what was amazing is that horse stood in the same spot. So we took the holder off and it's in the arena on its own. And it just stood there. Like uh, it stood like it was a statue. And I'm like, I said, okay, there you go. So we can walk away over the hill. The horse hasn't even walked back to the gate yet. Cause it just went into this zombie state. Um, so I got the people in the audience just to stamp their feet and jump up and down a couple of times. And then I had a, had a, had a, just a flag, like a, like a, and uh, my flag, some, I got it so it makes a bit of noise, you know, it's a bit, I can whip it a bit. And I kind of whipped it a couple of times on the ground and the horse suddenly went, hang on a minute, I'm not safe. What's happening? Uh-oh. And then all of a sudden it jumped out of its, 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 its um, shutdown state and it started to go, uh-oh, things aren't right. So it started pacing the fence and it started going to the gate and it started getting kind of anxious. And then I said to him, now you're going to work from the, First side of the spectrum, which is listen to the wild horse. I said, now you go and catch that horse while it's, what, what, now that it's not shut down. And he had to approach the wild horse, not the shut down horse. Because for some people, it's hard to approach a shut down horse because the horse is not giving as good signals as a horse that's not shut down. So it's not communicating because shutting down is not communicating. And, and you've got to have like nearly a, 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 like a magnifying glass from a distance to sort of see all those signals of the shutdown horse. Um, so people might find that a little difficult. So I said, well, now you approach the real horse. But the fascinating thing about it was, is it took him a while to get up to that horse. It took him a fair while um, because one on one particular eye, when you approach the horse on one eye, it'd hide in the fence in the corner. On the other eye, it'd draw out a little bit, but then it'd give him a real angry look and it was like communication kind of overload. You know, the horse was going on on every step you make. I'm aware of it everywhere you move. I'm highly aware of it. And I, and, and so he, he basically had a horse that he could actually work with because it told him every time he made the wrong move. So we went, Oh geez, that was a bad move. Wasn't it? And I say, yeah, well, you can see it now, can't you? So, um, 
Whereas he just got like, he used to walk up to this kind of half angry looking horse all the time that sometimes got nippy or sometimes did some random kicky things, but it just got angry at a distance and stayed angry. But this time this horse, every footstep, every lean, every, you know, step in the wrong direction or right direction, the horse was highly attuned to. And then by the time he got up to the horse, the horse connected with him because the, basically the horse finally allowed him in and it connected with him and then he could walk around the arena at liberty and the horse would follow him and it wasn't running back to the gate for safety all the time. So we left it there and the next day he came in, that horse followed him around and the horse looked completely different. It was a soft, softer eyed horse. And the hardest thing though is he needs to kind of just let that horse off work for a fair while and just go out there and say, mate, you've, you've had too much education without being happy. Maybe I'm just going to build a stronger, better relationship with you before we get back into education. And then I was trying to show him ways he could educate the horse. But like everybody, you know, there's that side that I want to go and do some, you know, I want to go to a competition next weekend or something. Yeah. I thought, well, he's not the horse for it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and, and that's yeah, so, so important. Basically, There's basically, so many of these in the horse world that we have to put all of our dreams and goals aside. It's like being a parent. It's like you can shove it all on your child, but what does your child want? You know, you've really got to think about that with horses too. What does your horse want? It doesn't want to compete. It's not liking competing. Give it a year off. Maybe then it'll like it. But at the moment, you're making the wrong decision yeah. for your horse and you're putting yourself first and it's to the yeah. detriment of your horse. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's the the biggest thing. The thing I find, I guess, hard now at clinics because it, I became I became passionate about horses when I started to see the troubles that they've been through and what they've been through. Before that, horses just were another tool, as because that's kind of how I grew up. And then I didn't grow that extra big heart for horses until I started to hear their story, and uh, and then then suddenly it changed me in the way I looked at horses all around. And, um, but the hardest thing I have now with clinics is what you just said is, um, I think sometimes it's a quick fix. Um, you know, people come thinking, I've heard Mark can help me with a, a troubled horse or a brace or this or that, a horse will put his head up or whatever it may be. And I show them that we can help this horse, but not by next weekend or the weekend after this horse, you know, particular horses need uh, you to become part of that horse more and it means putting the ego aside and um, helping that horse. And that, that might be a bit more long-term before it sees a competition again or, see, you know, goes to a place that's, that's, that's um, got too much stimulant that's, that's, that causes that horse to sort of get really uncomfortable. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it's, 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 but, but still, you've imparted the information and I know people start to take it on board. You know, I know that they start to think because I'll, I'll tell them how it is in a nice way. I don't try and make anyone feel bad because they're, they're there because they want to help. They come because they, they just need some help. And there's no point if I can't get through to them, then I can't get through to the horse. So, um, but over the course of a weekend or a four day clinic or a six day clinic, whatever they, they, you know, they're on is I, is I really try and get them to understand, you know, where I'd be going with this horse. So they've got a bit of an idea and, you know, and I know people, they've come back and said, you know what I did? I, I, I didn't do that and I didn't do this and I waited and geez, it's been so rewarding now because I've, I've got this horse that's coming out of its shell and it's actually interested in stuff now and I'm actually getting things that I couldn't get before. 
Yeah. And if you're talking to someone where, where you're on the first layer of the onion skin, you know, the middle of the onion, the center is where they know what they have to do when they do it. But there's all these layers that they have to get to, um, to actually understand it. So you might be the first layer where the first time they're ever hearing your horse doesn't really want to compete. They might take that horse to competitions for another year or two and it gets worse and worse and worse. Yeah. And then another person tells them, and then another person tells them, and then they're like, okay, maybe I've got it now. You know, it's, it's, um, every, everyone's got their, their time and their way and they may just not be ready yet, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, 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 um, it's been great. I think I've learned more doing clinics than when I was taking on, no, no I cut my teeth because all the tough horses I did. I've been, you know, I wouldn't want to tell you the stories that I've been in, like in the sense I'd scare people off horses, I think, you know, the, uh, but, but over the, all the years I was taking on horses, I, 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 I remember the ones that I didn't finish and, and there's only three or three or four out of the 12 years or no, nearly 15 years of training here yeah, now, cause I was 12 in cleanliness and, uh, and I remember the specific reasons why I, I didn't sort of continue with those horses. Some, you know, which is, is sort of, won't go into that, but I, I had a, I, I, I knew that I was the last on the line for that horse in a lot of ways. Um, and, you know, and, and I was, cause the person said, you know, we've got plenty more and if one doesn't work out, just we'll get rid of it. And uh, you can yourself send you another one. And, but I, I, once I got a, got a feel on the horse, I, I, I couldn't quit. I had this no quit attitude and the problem with it, that's why I don't take on horses now is because I probably burnt myself out a little bit in, 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 you know, doing tough horses. And eventually, you know, that, what's that, uh, what's that thing that um, post-traumatic stress syndrome. I don't have post-traumatic stress syndrome, but I thought if I kept doing tough horses, I will. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and also if, I, if, if you're the one to this, doing, yeah, if you're the one doing it all for them, how are they really learning? And that's where the clinic situations are so brilliant because you're giving, yeah. planting the seed and giving the education to the person and their horse and saying, this is what you need to work on. This is what you need to do to make your horse this way. You've, you've done this much to get it to here. And this is what you have to do instead of you having to do all the work for them. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And I try really hard to keep people that I started to horse, they come and ride on the place and, I'd say anytime you want to come out while I'm training, come out, you know, I, any day, yeah, as long as they rang me first so I could set their horse up to be when they're coming out, you know, I had an open door policy the whole time um, and I wanted people encouraged to see, you know, what I was doing and, you know, when they got their horse back, it was, this is how many lessons your horse had. Um, so you know exactly what it's had, not, not, oh, it's been there for eight weeks and what's happened kind of thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so, so it was kind of like a, you know, as honest as I could be, but also encouraging, but, but there's still times that, you know, the, I, I know horses that I would have started that never weren't, weren't even sat on for two or three years after I'd started them. And, um, and yeah, the environments that they go back to, if the person just doesn't understand how the horse got there and why I was training it like I was, then they just think it's been fixed and go back to that environment. Then, and it all, all, all unfolds because the horse is only learning what's happened to him. The horse is only learning what, what the information that's going into it in, in every, uh, at every moment. Yep. Absolutely. 
Um, yeah, but um, yes, it's, uh, yeah, it's it's good. It's good. It's been a been a good good journey. And there's uh, like we now um, you know, I actually this is a pod. This is, I started uh, people started asking me about podcasts, and um, so we do a question and answer once uh, once every fortnight for uh, members. Um, and and it's we started a membership program. Um, that was it was Jenny's idea. Um, I I've always been a bit like oh when we first had to do a Facebook I don't want Facebook we have to have a website I don't want website <laughs> I've always been the sort of I've always been the uh, the the uh, the speed bump the whole way but as I said to you earlier before we started the podcast it was like well you know I'm living in Australia I'm doing clinics and I have to you know we have to have um, you know, a way of getting the word out there to help help horses and and, and you know you know keep the business ticking along. But um, I've never been a big businessman. I've just kind of just enjoyed what I've what I've doing. And and uh, thank God we started you the subscription. Jenny, and yeah, I know, I know, I know. So we, we started a subscription um, because uh, there were some people at clinics, and people started to find out, and they said, oh, "I can't go to clinics. Have you got any way of helping me? Or you know, you only come to this area once a year. Is there anything I can do? Or you know, I really." You know, and then I guess once a few people said, this will be a good idea and you'll help out us and our horses a lot. Then I said, oh, okay, maybe a subscription sounds like a good idea. Uh, so so we started one and, you know, obviously it's in, it's it's not, I mean, I say it's in its infancy, but it kind of is still because there's a lot of developing to do on it and, you know, improving and, and you know, just giving people stuff that they can work on and, some other ideas that keep them sort of interactive with it and help them out. But um, so we have people on the subscription and, and they, um, we, I do a, a question and answer every fortnight that they just post their questions up and, and answer them. But then people who have bad internet and stuff, they say, Oh God, I, I, I can't stop and watch it, but I'd love to listen to it on the way to work. Cause that's where I get time. So now what we do is we just sort of podcast the question and answers. And now that goes on Podbean and a, and a few others. So, it's just the, the, the question and answers of all the people with their, you know, uh, different issues that they're having. So, so, so we do that and, uh, but it's linked up uh, w with the subscription, but you don't have to be a subscriber to get the podcast. I think you can just. Um, yeah. You just need to be that. a subscriber to ask the questions, but um, I've had a little listen to a few of them and there's great information in there. Really great information from very, um, you know, they're very practical questions that people are asking that every horse person has probably had one time in their life. So it's very worth taking a listen to. We'll link to it in the show notes for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, so that's good. It's been able to help a lot of people and, and yeah, and I've been getting a few people say that, yeah, I've really enjoyed the subscription. It's helped me out and they've, you know, from different countries that can't come to a clinic. And so it's given me the confidence to sort of believe in it a bit more, I suppose, and, 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 and really try and put a little bit into it. Um, cause I was, I was so wary of horse people getting stuff and damaging the horses because there wasn't someone there to say, Hey, but you, you gotta, you know, I, cause I'd, I'd, I'd hate to, you know, as I, as I said earlier on, I'm so wary of the one, two, three, four approach, um, that I didn't want people cause, cause I know people, even when they ask, when they watch my videos and stuff, they go, so where's the start and, 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 in which order should we do everything? And I'm like, well, it's not quite like that. You have to look into it and say, is this relevant for your horse? Because it may not be. Um, and, and I guess that's the thing I was really worried about is taking it on board and doing something um, that may not be suitable for their horse. Uh, but 
at the same time, I think I'm trying to explain things enough now and people are aware that, you know, this is, this is all information that will help them where they're at, but they don't have to sort of go, right, I'm going to do the start, the finish of the Mark Langling program or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, there's, like I was saying, I've interviewed over 80 people now and I don't have any one way. I have, I have the way that I have in front of my horse and, uh, and they tell me more than anything what it is that I need. And then when I'm not sure what to do, I've got uh, 85 interviews in my head of somebody popping in going, remember this part, remember that part um, of the guidance that I've, I've taken. So the more information you can get out there into the world, which is why the interwebs are so brilliant for all of us, um, the more information you can get out, people can follow the whole thing through or they can take bits and pieces. And um, I think as horse yeah. people, we're starting to wake up enough now to to know that we have to take responsibility. And, you know, whilst there's, you know, some great clinicians out there, we still have to take responsibility for how we deliver that. Is it the right thing for our horse? We need to discern all of these things. So all you can do is give your information and what people do with it. You have to trust that they're doing the best they can. Yeah. 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 That's right. And I guess the most important information too would be, you know, and that's why I sort of, you know, if, if the, if the, you know, like I said earlier, there's that I'm here to help. Um, if people go, I'm here to help and it's about how the horse feels as their, their primary objective. Um, then if they always fall back to that as their foundation, then they, they, they kind of know when they're steering in the wrong direction a little bit because their horse will always steer them. And, and if they take that on board, I think no matter what they're grabbing from different, different trainers and, and horse people, they'll say, hang on a minute, is this right for the horse? Is the horse improving in its emotional wealth, you know, for, you know, it, mental welfare, I suppose. Um, then they'll, then they, can maybe go a little wrong, but not not too wrong because they'll always have that picture in their head of that happy horse that they want to see. Yeah, exactly. And if they keep asking themselves that question, then they're able to go, well, that didn't work. What did I do there? What was it? And and what you're doing yeah. is you're making them, when you're giving them the, the foundations and the principles, they're able to go, oh, maybe I just put a little bit too much pressure in that. And maybe I was using driving pressure through that instead of doing it, you know, having them thinking. So, you know, there's, there's all those things that um, we, we as horse people, you know, have so much to learn. I'm not sure I'll ever finish. You'd think after doing 80-something interviews that I would, uh, I would feel like I was there, but I don't. <laughs> I really don't. Yeah. Every, every new piece person well, brings something <laughs> brilliant. Yeah, well, the one thing I will say, and uh, I'll, say it to, I'll, say it, I'll say it to you and I'll say it to, to everybody is, um, there is information overload and, uh, and um, pondering is such an important thing. Uh, um, with with the, the resources out there, which I'm, we, the resources are wonderful. It's wonderful to have all these resources and uh, all these things to learn and inspire people and, and, and to help horses. But um, I'm seeing this a fair bit with, the, with the, the, the people that I'm working with and is information overload. Um, so, um, they will start to, to try new things as, as new things come available to them, but they haven't pondered on the stuff that they're doing and why and why, 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 and why not 
or why should I, why shouldn't I? Uh, yes, yes, so pondering, the next shiny pondering, object. Pondering, yes, yes. So, so, and, I, and I'm starting to see that in, in, in this sort of, you know, in the horse training is people have, 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 have taken on so much information and um, that they're actually, yeah, they're not pondering on the old information long enough to understand it because they've already got the new information in their head. So the old information's already on the back burner. Uh, and sometimes not to be picked up because they thought, oh, well, this is better, but is it better? Or is it just kind of new and shiny, like you said? So so I really encourage people to, um, you know, and, and I guess I guess where I'm going with that is what I've noticed is people have become observers of horses and forgot to become leaders in the sense that they, they lost themselves in information. So they're too busy thinking about all the information that the horse looks at them and goes, okay, you're you're observing me. You're sort of doing what do all these you want? things. But where comes are you? back to that original question. What do you isn't want? It? What do you want? Yeah. What do you What do you want? Where, where's the clarity? And and where are you in this whole matter? Like they lose themselves in information, even their own centre, um, and their own belief in themselves. Yeah. Um, because the the minds, and that's just a human nature, isn't it? We can, you know, go to the you know we've gone to the moon years ago and <laughs> look at all the stuff we've invented and. Um, but look how far from nature we're getting in, in just that, that mindfulness. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you turn up, um, to your horse without, uh, being present, then it doesn't matter what information you've got. So I was saying before, you know, horse first, horse first, me first, horse, horse first, first yeah. and then techniques and everything come after that. If you, if you get too lost in yeah. techniques, you've kind of lost the whole point. You lost the whole point. Yeah. And if you can always... Yeah, but yeah, I, I encourage everyone to ponder because it's pondering that I think's helped me over the years. Is I pondered on the one thing for a long time, and the sayings that I got years ago I still got because it it, it sort of there was a rightness in it. And I was figuring out how to how to implement those sayings took took years. <laughs> yeah, uh, and we learn yeah. so much from mistakes. Yes. Mistakes yes. you learn in your body. Yeah, mistake. Like, oh shit, I don't like that feeling. I'm not ever going to do that again. And when you get it right, it's like, oh great, and you kind of move on and you forget about it. It doesn't really sink in as much. Yep, yep. Now we certainly, and, and I guess the biggest thing we learn by mistakes and making a mistake's okay as long as we can go back and rectify if the horse got left on the mistake. If if, yeah. if the mistake. Uh, if the mistake was damaging to the horse, then it's our responsibility to to go back and realign our mistake and then keep going. Yes, definitely, because it's a it's a conversation and a two way. And if you leave it unhealed, then mm. it's not going to be a good relationship anymore. Yep, yep, yeah. There's only so much of a you know I call it a some I heard someone say once that horses are um, forgiving, and I'm like, yeah, there's only so many pins a pin cushion can hold. Yeah. Um, and 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 there are horses that aren't forgiving. I don't know who invented that saying, but I actually I I, I say there's a few horses that are forgiving, but the rest, you know, that there's you 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 know, it's okay to make those mistakes. But if if you if if you build mistake on mistake, then after a while you might have learned. But if you haven't gone and rectified all that, then then the horse will start to carry a brace. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's more that mm. don't be afraid. Don't, don't do nothing because you're afraid of making mistakes. Just know that when you make That's it right. yeah. together, yeah. you'll figure it out. As long as you're having a conversation yeah. back and forth, that's the main yeah, thing. Yeah, that's right. And, and, you've, and yeah, that's right. That's right. 
Yeah, and it's how you teach it, you know, with the with the horses that you're waking up. If you're listening and you're looking, you'll know when they say no. And uh, hopefully you won't. Yeah, and you'll also. And you'll only get, yeah, you'll only get so far into a mistake that you'll realise, yeah, well, I've tried that, but I'm thinking that's not, not the right direction I can back out. It's, yeah. um, and, and yeah, if you're listening, you're listening, you know, when the mistake's unfolding in front of you instead of, uh, you know, till it's too when late. When you're getting a hoof to your head. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's right. Yeah. Wonderful. In yeah. the in the email that uh, the wonderful Jenny sent me through, she said that you have online video training videos and that people can actually get the first seven days of, um, free for, to trial. So that's a great thing. Yeah. Yeah. So basically we've got a, a subscription. Um, as I said, it was hard. I had to like bite my lip a little bit to, to, to do that. Cause I, I'd just like to be the humble. I'll come and help you with your horse thing. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but you've so, got to eat but, as well. And so but, do your but, horses. Horses cost money. <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, but having a family too, I can only do so much on the road. Exactly. Um, you know, so 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 yeah. So the subscription is um, basically there's a heap of different clinic videos of footage I've taken at clinics, plus training ideas at home that I've that I've you know videoed and um, and it's a monthly subscription. First seven days are free, and then you basically choose if you want to stay on board. Uh, you can sort of pull pull the pin and and or you can stay on board um, with the subscription. So it's 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 fifteen Australian dollars a month for people to come on and have a go of it. And it's got to you know come on or go off. It's you know you can you can you can get your fill for a month and then say right I'm going to go and do a bit and then I might log on in another couple of months and you know especially if people want to save a bit of money and things like that because you know times are always testing and. Um, I'd rather just have it available that people can use it um, how they want to. And, and um, you know, if they want to stay on board so it's always available, they can do that. That's, yeah. Some great options there. So equineability.com.au is your yep. um, website. And I will have links to everything in the show notes because you've got a YouTube channel as well as your podcast, Mark Langley Horsemanship. And you're on Instagram and Facebook, yep. Jenny tells me. Yeah, I believe I am. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know about the Instagram one very much. It's just kind of, I think Jenny put it there because it, it, it's it's just one way of getting people across to what we really do. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's not not, not like I, I uh, it's just, yeah, it's a good good way to sort of, you know, people interested in stuff to, to, to sort of filter them across to see if they want to have a yeah. look at, you know, different things or need some help. But, but um, yeah, so the, the, the Facebook we've got different Facebooks, obviously. Um, so there's always information on our open Facebook, the business one. Um, and the live members talks uh, for members and that's on the membership Facebook. Um, so they can watch, watch that and live uh, and get their answers, other uh, questions answered. Um, and there was another thing I was going to say, but I, and also, yeah, access to the clinics and everything like that. Um, so is on the website. Yeah, and you seem to and do the YouTube a lot, channels. Yeah, along the east coast of Australia, you, you get out there a bit. Yeah, Western Australia and Queensland went a bit, got a bit, bit difficult there. So we sort of made some more uh, New South Wales clinics, um, and we were going to do a young horse start in Perth, which we do them here, but we don't. We we, we sort of, but so that might happen again now. Now that if if it looks like the borders will stay open and things stay, uh, you know, relatively clean in Australia. 
Mm. Um, but yeah, the YouTube channels, uh, it's free. So people can, you know, if, if people don't want to commit to anything and they want to see some stuff, um, you know, there's quite a lot of, and, and they're not bell, uh, they're not smoke and mirrors videos. They're, they're real training videos. They're, they're just me working with a horse trying to uh, explain what I'm teaching and stuff like that. There's no sort of, you know, lure you in kind of videos. I guess it's more so just real education. So people might get some help um, just from those, um, you know, YouTube ones. In, and if that kind of gives them an idea, then they can get some free help on there if they like. Beautiful. Well, that sounds wonderful. Well, Mark, thank you so much for your time today. But more so, thanks for the, everything that you're doing for making the world a better place for horses. I'm so glad I found you. I don't know who it was who put your name in there, but and uh, when I asked who do I talk to, but I'm so glad they did, and I'm so glad you're out here doing this work. Thanks very much, Tracy. And, and likewise, it's you know, likewise, it's in the sense of you know what you're doing, you know, bringing bringing it all out, putting it out there. Um, so. So, you know, because by putting so many different people out there that could be helpful is, is you know, great instead, you know, it, it's good. And, and, and the more availability to help horses there, the better, I think. So, yeah, yeah well, everyone can't yourself. follow one person because then it would be a cult. So I believe in getting as much information out there as possible and then people will, will gravitate naturally to the, to the people that um, speak to them. That, that, you know, and if they're in their body trusting themselves, they'll get to that exact person that they need for what what their horse is experiencing. So um, yeah, it's lots of fun, but thank you so much for joining me today. I'm, I'm so glad to have met you. Thanks Tracy. Thanks a lot. I'm on a mission to create a community of conscious horse people so that their horses all over the world can live a better life. This is a big mission with a wonderful message and it needs your help. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to join me on my mission of making the world a better place for horses by bringing consciousness to the horse world, please do one of the following. You can go over to our Patreon page at patreon, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash come along for the ride podcast and become a subscriber to the show. As Patreon members, you're helping this podcast become a weekly show once again. And remember, any funds that go over the cost of production will go into new and exciting projects that you, as a subscriber, will have a say in. You could also pop over to EdenRiverEquestrian.com and see our range of sustainable, ethical and organic gear for both horses and humans. Remember, 50% of profits go back to helping horses all over the world live a better life. Or you could leave us a review and tell the world why you love this podcast. You can do that through whichever app it is that you're listening now. The best place to do it is through iTunes. They give juice that gives other bits juice that boosts the podcast up. And basically that gets it into more people's ears so that we can make a real difference in the world. You could also share this podcast with a friend. Tell everyone you know about it and guide them to an episode that you think they'd really enjoy. All the links you need can be found in the show notes. Thanks again for listening. And I'll catch you next time on Come Along for the Ride.